we've flooded the roof of Selfridges, uh, working three different engineering firms to make sure it didn't collapse, to make a boating lake and float up bar. We've made the world's lightest meringues using aerogel. It's a supercritical drying. It's a technique that's used by NASA to collect comet dust and analyze it. Um, and we've cooked with lava as well. So that's uh, 1,350 degrees Celsius. This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. When I first met Sam Bombus and Harry Parr over a decade ago, they were just a couple of young guys doing some wacky things with food, including creating breathable cocktails and designer jellies. I thought what they were doing was so interesting and so playful, but I featured them in my first book, Screw Work, Let's Play, which was published in 2010. When I checked in with Sam and Harry at the beginning of the year to find out how they were doing, as I set about writing a new version of that book, now called Fuck Work, Let's Play, and published by Pearson imminently, I discovered that they built what were fun experiments with food into an international flavor studio that has worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. If you've ever had a crazy idea that you thought was just too out there perhaps to make it real, listen to this interview and get inspired and make your crazy ideas into a real business. Well, Sam, thanks very much for joining us on the Ideas Lab podcast. Thank you very much. Such a pleasure to be here. We met a very long time ago. I can't remember how I first heard about you. But you you, uh, were doing these remarkable things uh, with Harry um, with with food. Like I described you as playing with food in my first book. And these remarkable projects around breathable cocktails and – designer jellies and so on and you've turned it into this amazing business so I want to find out about that but how did it all begin how did you what were your first projects well I mean Harry and I really wanted to see something fun on the weekend and between our two houses was Borough Market and we noticed that they didn't have any great sweet food stalls um, and we thought fine British jellies need to have a comeback and it was fitting with a couple of trends at the time um, so of course, um, you know, that was when, uh, molecular gastronomy was really sort of sexy and edgy. And, you know, of course, if you're doing a, a multi-course tasting menu in which you have tomatoes, 19 ways on the plate, one of those will probably be a gel. Um, and it fitted in with all that techno food stuff that was happening then. Um, but then, then also linked with, you know, some of the sort of British nostalgia rediscovery of um, authentic um, British cooking and British history, you know, really spearheaded by the likes of um, uh, St. John, who've just been transformational in, in, in this era. Um, so we set ourselves up to have a fine English jelly company. And I've got to say, we're 13 years later now, um, have made an enormous amount of jelly, absolutely scores and scores and scores of it. Um, have never had a jelly product, but we're, we are we are now finally getting around to that. So that's one of the a product <laughs> the as it was. Having... A, 
It was always a custom thing. It was never a sort of off-the-shelf thing. Yeah, well, I, there's, there's a reason there aren't a lot of jelly companies because it's a real pain to make and it's a sticky <laughs> mess to clean up. Um, so we, we found ourselves doing lots and lots of um, jellies for weddings, jellies for fashion shows, jellies even for funerals, lots of custom events. Um, but, now, but wait a minute, so but, but you, you weren't trained in food, were you? No, so neither of us had a food background. We're, we're both enthusiastic about food, but I've been it for 13 years, so, <laughs> so you yeah, know quite you a lot about now. it now. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think in many ways um, that really helped us at the start because there was so much expectation to do something really remarkable, but we knew that we're coming from a position where we didn't really know very much. So we'd often bring in different disciplines that we could research and bring them into the realm of food and drink in order to do something new and something that wowed people. So um, Harry trains an, uh, an architect and our first jetties, he would design on the computer using Rhino, which is the program that was used to design trainers, but then was used by lots of architects to design buildings and would use it to design jetties. We'd then make all our own molds um, after 3D printing it. And that's really the first time that people had seen um, CAD design and 3D printing used in the arena of food and drink. There are now a number of people doing that. Um, and it's much more, it, you know, it's quite accessible actually. Um, but we then took that ethos into other arenas as well. So whether it's working with um, pyrotechnicians, magicians, animal handlers, um, lots of engineers, so all these different disciplines, bringing them into the world, world of food and drink um, with the view ultimately just giving people um, an interesting afternoon out. <laughs> and you, can you tell us some of the more out there things that you've done? I mentioned the breathable cocktails. You did that a few times, didn't you? Yes, that's alcoholic architecture. There's a, you know, if we were a metre apart, we wouldn't be able to see each other because there'd be so much booze in the air um, and that would be intoxicating through the lungs and the eyeballs with every breath you take. Uh, we've flooded the roof of Selfridges, uh, worked with three different engineering firms to make sure it didn't collapse, to make a boating lake and float up bar. We've made the world's lightest meringues using aerogel. It's a supercritical drying. It's a technique that's used by NASA to, to collect comet dust and analyze it. Um, and we've cooked with lava as well. So that's uh, 1,350 degrees Celsius. Um, <laughs> very hot. Yeah, I think I watched a video of that where you cooked a steak or something. Yeah, was a, that was a delicious steak. <laughs> <laughs> so, well done, probably. <laughs> uh, no, you can. No, you just have to just... cook it. You just have to oh. cook it very, very quickly. Okay, right. And I, I mean, what's interesting is that I have a lot of followers, a lot of clients who have all sorts of really innovative ideas, wacky ideas, you might even say, as you have done. But you actually did them. So I mean, what's interesting, and you've turned it into a business, um, uh, quite a sizable business now. What do you think has been the key to you following through on these things and turning it into a business rather than it just being like, oh, I'll do that one day? Have you always been somebody who's followed through on their ideas? Well, God, there's a whole nest of our answers in there. Um, I, think, I think to start with, we did things um, and uh, we almost didn't, well, very naive. We didn't realize how difficult they would be. 
Um, and it's only when you've promised everyone that you're going to deliver this thing that you, you realize um, quite a, what a challenge it's going to be. Um, and then I think having a short-term memory helped as well because you do it again and again and again. Um, and eventually you realize that, that you know, through learning a very hard way, you, you know quite a lot about um, uh, doing things that are impossible. So most of our briefs are do something that's never been done before. Oh, and you've got two days to come up with it. Um, and it needs to be on the front page of newspapers around the world. Um, and, now, and now if we're not operating with that sort of challenge, um, then, then it, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't, it's not quite as piquant. It's not quite as, as spicy as, as, as we'd want it. Um, but I think, I think the, when we started off, part of the rigors of, the business really helped us because we didn't, we didn't have any clients. There was no one that was waiting to commission us. Um, so a lot of our very first projects, they, they would by necessity have to have, um, you know, some sort of business model to them. And we weren't setting out to make money, but we knew that it'd be a pretty short lived enterprise if we lost money all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, so that meant that, that we've always been pretty good at realizing things cost-effectively um, you know, and also realizing quite ambitious projects um, quite cost-effectively and then, and then making sure that um, while the project might be quite niche, um, <laughs> that, that, that we've, we've outlined, um, there's enough people who are similarly enthusiastic about it who want to come along and, and, and pay some money for it. Um, and every so often you get you get a subject that people are really enthusiastic about, um, like ice cream. <laughs> oh right! <laughs> we, yeah. we made a, a, a for our our you know endeavour the British Museum of Food uh, uh, an ice cream museum, which was rather wonderful. Oh, brilliant! Yes, do you know the Oppo brothers? No, who are they? Oh, they're right. They make the um, the world's first healthy ice cream, and I featured them in the book as well. Oh wow! Uh, they're um, Sa- um, Charlie, that and, Charlie and Harry, I think. Um, I mean, there was nothing healthy about our ice cream. We were we were going <laughs> we were going full fat, full sugar. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was, it was flavor held the key, and and sometimes it's it's okay. Oh, there's room for that. I don't, I'm I'm a fan of uh, an, yeah, the odd unhealthy thing. So, I mean, you do seem to have got quite a knack for attracting PR you've been in so many different newspapers and magazines what's the secret to that is it just doing something that's really that's new that's fresh what is it that seems to get people's attention well I think I think I think you need to hit a number of different um sweet spots all at once so first and foremost it's it's topical um there's all something that um uh, the media is concerned about um and you know you it's kind of like a bell curve, isn't it? You just want to stay just on the on the front end of that, so it feels really fresh. But it's the thing that people are curious about next. Mm. Um, if it's too far outside the bounds of people's comprehension, then it, do- it doesn't really hit. And we did a we did a project um, many years ago, which was using um, EEG to chart people's brain waves as you ate ice cream again. Mm. And at this point. We had Paul Pullman, the CEO of Unilever, um, having his brain scanned as he ate an ice cream. It was, it was really remarkable. And no one was really into that. And I think it was just so out, this is about in 2012 or so, it was just so far out of the bounds of, of 
um, what people were looking at with experience at the time. Um, it didn't really register. Uh, you know, we actually had to write all the code for it, work with neuroscientists at UCL. Um, yeah, it's a really, really interesting project, but but it, it didn't hit. Whereas um, four or five years later, we did something that's much more si- like very, very much s- similar in terms of output. Except this time, we're using a thirty-pound piece of kit off the shelf. Code was pre-programmed. Um, you ate an ice cream. There's some lasers fired out um, to see what's going on in your brain as you did it. And it just got huge, huge, huge traction because of the timeliness yeah. of it. It, it, it yeah. was much more um, within people's people's you know, frame of references at, at the time. And, le- and there were lasers and ice cream involved in the yeah. scene, which, which helped. Um, That's a really good point, I think, yeah. And you're trying to, it's not just about something being remarkable, it's remarkable just as people starting to get interested in that kind of topic. Yeah, a, a, exactly. And then, then I think storytelling's key. So... When when we're working on something, we start off by writing it out long form, um, and you know it, it's got to be understandable as a single sentence, but also you know over the course of two thousand words. And if you can if you can <laughs> hit both of those, um, then it's probably interesting. And our, our way to judge that is is you know just that same time you go and meet your friends for a coffee, you see them in the pub. You start telling them about it. If they switch off halfway through, it's probably not going to work. If they if they ask you to tell them more, then then that's a winner. And then the final bit is making that work um, in terms of imagery. And and you know, gosh, I, I hunk, like I really hanker for when we started, when you'd be able to have one hero shot. That was it. Mm. And now you do a day of media to prep for one of these, and you and you've got to capture like 120 stills in a day. You've got to get video content. It's got to be formatted so, so that it works, works native media across all these different platforms. Um, used, to be a, used to be a lot simpler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, but I mean, now, now as much as anything else, the, the way we do it is, is, you know, we used to have our press list of, of important journalists. Now, now we just treat everyone as a journalist effectively. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's amazing the stuff you've done. I think one of the things you were doing recently, uh, was, a the world's first vegan hotel suite. Um, it was that one of, one of yours? Uh, yeah. So that was, um, that's with the Hilton in Bankside mm. and we you know, reformatted the whole hotel suite so that everything was vegan. Um, it's actually quite quite a challenge. We're using some quite innovative materials as well, um, and and you know, funny enough, we're able to triangulate. So I'm I'm a big fan of the pineapple, especially pineapples in architecture. It's a symbol of welcome, and we discovered this material called Pinatex, which is made out of pineapple husks. Um, and the site of the hotel suite was um, very very close to the site of the first pineapple grown in Britain. Um, by John Traviscant, who is Charles the First, um, uh, sorry, Charles the uh, Second's uh, gardener. There's this wonderful painting of Traviscant offering Charles this uh, hallowed pineapple. Wow. Um, but yeah, again, that was that was just at the right time. So that that was at the start of 2019, and at the 2019, it was just in va- it launched in January, just as everyone made their New Year's resolutions and. 
that was probably the year in, in which the highest proportion of people ever decided to um, uh, go vegan. And mm. this is when we launched it. Um, but yeah, as a consequence, their occupancy rates have just been really, really, really high. So it's worked for them um, mm. from a business point of view, not, not just with um, all the press halo, but actually getting, getting a payoff in the end because they're doing something that is exciting for people. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and presumably, for, I mean, with things like this, when large corporations like Hilton hire you, I'd imagine that pays fairly well compared to uh, some small-scale public events. Uh, well, it depends how much time you're spending on it. Right. <laughs> and, and I think, I think uh, all of our design team got so enthusiastic about something like that that, that <laughs> they just wouldn't ever stop designing because they wanted to make it absolutely perfect. Um, but yeah, I, we tried to get ever better at it. And the, the, the challenge that we have is so many of the projects that we have are so, so interesting. They're, they're almost like your dream project. Um, and at, at, and at some point, you just have to you have to put your pen down and go go have a balanced life. Otherwise, you're not you know as a creative, you're not going to be able to come up with anything else new if you're spending all your time working on it. You've got to you've got to have different modes of thinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we try we try and get better at, at, at managing <laughs> the amount of time we're, we're we're pumping into these projects to make them spot. Yeah. Typical creatives, yeah, there's so much fun. You just kind of keep working on it. And uh, you've written something like eight books or something. Is that right? Well, I, yeah, I think, I think, as I said, we've written probably five or six proper books. And then, <laughs> and then the other sort of things that are so weird, wonderful and novel, um, no one else would publish them. So we've published them ourselves. But it, it's things like... Minute, um, so what is a book that's so weird that a normal publisher wouldn't publish it? Uh, well, I okay... <laughs> So one of them was a um, book called Memoirs of a Stomach, which was a really niche diet book written in the mid-19th century, so I think it's 1852, um, entirely from the perspective of a a restless, um, disturbed and angry stomach that was telling its owner um, what it shouldn't be putting down it and recommending your diets. And then we re-illustrated that. That was just when um, pill cams had been invented. So rather than having an endoscope going up your nose and down your throat, you'd swallow a tiny, tiny camera with a battery and some lights. And as it swam, like a fantastic voyage along your digestive tract, um, it would record all of that. And then that would be used as a diagnostic equipment um, so that doctors could see, um, you know, is there anything wrong with you? And then we, so we used that new tech um, and we recorded the digestive tract of the food writer and chef, Gizzy Erskine. And we thought, if we're doing this, let's do it live. So we did it in front, we recorded it in front of a live audience of 300 people with um, the chief, um, well, one of the, one of the uh, best regardless gastroenterologists at Guy's Hospital, um, the people that invented the kit. Um, and also the technician in the UK who's listened to, looked at more pill cam footage than anyone else in the UK. And they were, they were like our, our guides to a fly-through of um, a very game, Gizzy Erskine. Um, and that was then used to illustrate the book. Sorry. Wow. As you and, can appreciate. And, and somehow a publisher... A of demand for it. Yeah, a publisher did not want to make that 
you know, they, a major they, focus. They passed up on that. They also passed up on... So we, so we published it ourselves. Um, and, and now I don't even have a copy. So, you know, it was, <laughs> it was popular enough that, that it's totally sold out. Um, you know, I, think, I, think, I think my sister and my brother has one. So, <laughs> so I'll look at theirs if I need to refer to it. Yeah. Wow, that's great. And um, what are you doing at the moment? You're, you're doing something of a design museum, aren't you? It's one of your projects. Yes, we've got an exhibition that's up at the Design Museum at the moment, and um, that's called The Fountain of Hygiene, and it is about hand sanitizer. And that starts off as, an, yeah, as just before we went into lockdown, realised that, you know, like everyone else, there's going to be a very significant change to the way we live as a society. And you know, pretty much everything we do, which is about food and drink, it's about conviviality, it's about people come together, it's about culture. And those are things that... that you know, for me, happen most effectively when people are out in the public realm. Um, mm. So we're looking at like, well, can we create a forum that creates a space for innovate, innovation around hand sanitizer to get people back out in the public realm um, and feeling safe about it and doing so in a manner that was safe? So we had um, an open call for uh, hand sanitizer um, uh, designs. And there are all sorts of wonderful designs. So, you know, everything from doorbells that you press and that spritzes you to um, designs encouraged to get kids enthusiastic about washing their hands. So some of it's like uh, brushes that you brush on the kids' hands. Others like it's an alpaca um, that, that spits out um, uh, hand sanitizer at you <laughs> or your child's hands. But it's, it's, it's now an exhibition that's up at the Design Museum um, We've also got a, a, a wonderful sculpture um, by Candida Powell Williams, um, which is the Tongue Fountain. Um, and then the whole thing's been packed up with the tour internationally. And, and, and happily as well, not only was the show raising money for the British Red Cross, but also um, we've been using it as a forum to introduce manufacturers to the you know, often quite young designers um, to take, get their product products made and number of the products going into production now wow it's great i hope the alpaca is one of them <laughs> yeah oh it's great it's really really good and um i suppose i'm interested now that you've got quite a sizable company how many staff have you got uh 16 at the moment wow and you started off just you and harry playing around with these experiments um so is there anything you wish you'd known like if you had one piece of advice for you and harry back at the beginning for you know now you didn't know then what do you think it would be i mean like now obviously you spend a lot more time looking at the business side of things um you know writing proper budgets for things rather than just charging ahead um yeah but also i think i think if we're doing that you know you would have lost lost some of the some of the you know, exuberance and, you know, enthusiasm and, and which I think, you know, I look back at some of these pictures I was doing age 24 to rooms full of senior executives from some of the world's biggest companies, the Diageos, the Coca-Colas, the Unilever. And like, if I'd, if I'd gone into those meetings fully aware of, of, of the um, risk, health and safety, the event <laughs> management, the business implications of, of um, the creatives that we're coming up with. It, yeah, they, just would have seen, they just would have seen absolutely wild, but you're able to go in completely confident. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and, and you know, actually, the, 
events that we we delivered as a result, you know, through a lot of hard work, um, were really were really really good. Um, so mm. maybe <laughs> maybe maybe not knowing can be a secret weapon too. I think it is. You know, I always use that example of um, of grand designs, and they interview the person at the end of the project. And at the beginning, at the beginning, they go, oh, it's going to take 12 months and cost 50,000 or 500,000, whatever it is. And, um, and then at the end, it's taken two or three years and it's nearly destroyed their marriage and it's cost, you know, twice as much money as they thought and it's nearly bankrupted them. And they said, like, you know, how do you feel now? And he goes, well, if we'd known what it was going to take, we wouldn't have ever started but now look at this amazing place and we get to have this as our home. And if it's all, I think in all entrepreneurship, because uh, it is kind of an, almost like entrepreneurship, building your own house, it is a bit like that. It's like if I'd known it was going to be this much hard work, I wouldn't have done it. But I'm so glad that I'm here and I've learned so much along the way. So it sounds a little bit similar for you, really. Yeah, of course. And, and you know, we, we're working in a creative industry as well. And, and you know, friction is really important. Um, you know, friction yeah. between different ideas and then resolving them swiftly and, and constructively to, to find a route ahead. Um, but unless you have that, you know, the, work, the work's just not very interesting. Um, you know, so, so, yeah, you know... <laughs> I mean, it's almost like there's there's a if 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 I'm if I'm working on a project and there aren't some imminent pro- problems, that's when I'm most worried because <laughs> it just feels like someone's not telling you something because there's always <laughs> there's always a challenge and that's part of that's part of the joy of it. Like you know, we installed at the design museum, um, you know, that was really really exciting because we just come out of lockdown. That was the first you know normally have several projects going live every single week. It had a few months of not taking projects live in sort of the design museum. It's like, oh, great, we've got to show up. People can come along. Back, shows on the road. The next day, got a call from them saying, your fountain's leaking. <laughs> 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 and I was like, oh, my God. I was like, oh, yeah, this is what it is. It's that buzz. It's that energy. It's like, I was like, okay, all is right with the world again. There's a leaking fountain. Fine. We can go and sort it out, fix it immediately, and, it, you know, it's it's been fine ever since but it's it's you know there's there's that sort of like working tension that, that i think you yeah. need to learn to rev, you need to learn to revel in well nothing's an adventure if you know what the outcome is really and also um it it also provides a bit of kind of barrier to entry for other people because like i say some of those people have all sorts of ideas they're not willing to go through the pain barrier of actually realizing them which uh which you two clearly are uh, yeah, maybe have a high threshold for pain. Well, I think I think we're able to share the pain between us, which is yeah, which I think I think I think actually genuinely really really helps. And and mm. you know when people when people speak to me about starting up their own business, um, you know, looking back, the, the greatest thing has been doing it with um, Harry, who's very very different to me, um, but you know, someone who I've got just a terrific amount of respect for. And it means that when it, when it gets too much for either one of us, the other one can normally see the way through just because we've got such different, different tools that we sort of bring to get bear on any problem. And that, and that makes it, that makes it um, rather fun. Yeah. Now, now I think you said, um, I think he, I quoted you in the book as saying something about it, but now is the best time ever to be putting your ideas into the world. Is that right? 
Uh, now specifically? <laughs> well, as in, you know, today it's easier than it ever was, I think was the point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sorry, get, get where that's going. Um, not, not right now with coronavirus, clearly. <laughs> well, yeah, but again, like, you know, so our, the success of Bombs and Power only really came out of the back of the 2008 recession. So 2008, suddenly there's a lot of retail units available. There are now. Um, yeah. You know, and it meant that, that we as, as um, you know, some kids with some ideas were able to get access to sites for a couple of weeks to experiment, to learn. It was great for the sites. So we talked about the breathable cloud of gin and tonic. Mm. When that opened in 2009 in Carnaby Street, the pub next to it, which was a pub of, uh, uh, you know, one of the big pub, codes, pub chains, was the best performing pub um, above target. Um, in Britain for the two weeks that we were open, so clearly, so clearly, it was it was really, really good for for that that localized area. It's driving traffic into it. There wasn't yeah. only there, and, and and you know, not all of the opportunities will necessarily be apparent, but there are there are a lot of opportunities. Um, yeah, you know, that that are coming out of coronavirus. We're we're trying to make sure that um, you know we make the most of them. Yeah, I remember going to that event in Carnaby Street, and it, you know, being in that thick fog of gin and tonic, um, and slowly feeling yourself getting inebriated. It was good fun. You give everyone uh, plastic overalls to wear so it doesn't PPE soak into actually. <laughs> yeah, PPE. You were way ahead of your time then. <laughs> uh, very, very early on, we we discovered that that PPE could be fun. <laughs> I yeah, think, I think I think that's one that we're going to have to have a new new view on now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, just one question before we finish: Is that an organ behind you? Uh, yes, this is a whiskey organ. Um, I'm tilting my screen now, so you can see it's it's full six meters high. Uh-huh. It's gold and white. It matches our golden ceiling in the room that I'm in. This is this is um, you know, we do a lot of work helping brands rediscover the joy of of, of their food product primarily. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of work in the food and drink space. And this is for um, the team at Johnny Walker, and Johnny Walker is a blended whiskey. So how do you how do you explain how a blended whiskey might be better than a single malt? And you know, music's really good because music's an analogy that lots of people understand. And you can say, well, look, you know, in 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 um, you know, a single malt might just be one instrument, but a blended whiskey might be a whole orchestra playing together. Um, but a way to articulate a whole orchestra is an organ because it has all the different voices of the trumpets, the coronets, the nasals, the piccolos um, on all the different stops. And so it lets you move what's a taste experience into the realm of primarily sound, but then also the visual impact of um, an organ. And this then toured around the world doing tastings in 14 different countries. Wow. Fantastic. So, yes, that's, uh, I like the idea of that. It sounds very tasty as well, a whiskey organ. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> it used a lot of science. This is with uh, Professor Charles Spence at the Cross-Modal Research Lab at Oxford University. Hmm. And your, your palate is very, very much sort of held, held hostage by, or, or at least ambushed by, um, uh, your sense of sight and sound. So as the organ plays, it directs your palate around a glass 
of um, Johnny Walker Blue Label. Right. And with each of six movements, it will change your palette by about as much as 20%. So oh. because something like a whiskey is like a matrix of many, many different flavors, and it can dial up and dial down those mm. different flavors that you can have within a single glass. So it's quite, wow. it's quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. And um, do you, just to finish, uh, do you have one last tip for people at the beginning of their entrepreneurial journey or their creative journey? Uh, I think the best thing is not to overthink it. Whenever we overthink projects, they never happen. And I think it's because you get bored of them. <laughs> so so the, the way that we approach things now is just to blitz them out super, super, super quick um, and then kind of work, up, work out how it's going as you go along. Um, we use we use the um, we use this sort of analogy of like always trying to fix the the plane as one of the engines is burning <laughs> mid flight, <laughs> and then being comfortable with that as well. And then that's a that's a good operational. Um, yeah, like building your car as you're driving it, kind of thing. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, I really appreciate your time and um, look forward to seeing everything else you are doing if people want to find out about bombers and par where should they go uh just our website bombspar.com or our social which is at bombers and par and yeah right. hopefully hopefully and the main thing is that you can come along to something um yeah safely with all our hand sanitizer innovations yeah that's great well thanks very much john thank you so so much as always it's very very inspiring um speaking to you and i hope we get to be some more soon thanks for listening to this episode of the ideas lab podcast please do subscribe and if you've enjoyed this episode it would be great if you could leave us a review you can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.